Hello and welcome back or welcome for the first time to Playtime. My name is Andrew Barnett. I am a child therapist who lives and sometimes works now in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. And this is a podcast dedicated to play therapy and child therapy coming at both of those things from a child-centered perspective. And today on the podcast, I want to chat about teletherapy because that is what a lot of us are being forced to do these days. Uh, My practice is entirely virtual at this point, and I'm sure that for many other people out there, it's the same. And I'm not an expert in teletherapy. I never planned on being a teletherapist. I have had a not insignificant amount of emotional resistance to doing teletherapy and at least want to spend some time talking about that because with other child therapists and therapists generally that I've been in contact with, uh, many of us have had different forms of resistance to this. My own personal resistance has come in a couple of different forms. The first part of it has been simply grieving the loss of my own practice, the uh, the role I've had with the children that I see, the amount of connection and community and purpose that I get when I go to work every day. And that's a loss. And that's a loss for all of us who have been seeing children, even if you're not a therapist, if you're a teacher or something like that, and you've had to move your work from the classroom to online, and at least for me, I had this initial emotional reaction of, screw that, I'm not going to do teletherapy, blah, 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 it's not the same, and after working through some of that anger and frustration, did find some just grief at the bottom of all of that, and at least in my own journey in this time, and maybe this is relatable, it's been important to witness that inside of myself in order to move to a place of settling into, like, okay, what do we do now? The other piece of my resistance has been insecurity regarding the sessions themselves. I almost feel like a therapist just starting out when I start to think about, okay, like for a five-year-old or a seven-year-old or a four-year-old, like how does an online session work? It's not something I've done before. It's not something that I've ever thought about doing. It feels different to be with someone in that online versus in person. There is something intangibly different about it. And well, I mean, it is tangible. You're not in the same room. You're not in the same room. And especially with being non-directive the vast majority of the time in my practice being non-directive online is challenging i mean i've had i've had a couple of sessions where i've still been able to do some tracking and still been able to do some reflecting and maybe we can get into some of the details of what running an actual session looks like a little later on but at least for me and for people out there it might look different for you But I've had some grief that it's been necessary to recognize and move through and witness and accept and some insecurity 
about myself as a clinician online that also has been present and also needs to be witnessed. And whatever resistances are coming up for you as a person when you're thinking about doing online sessions, they need space to breathe and it needs space to be witnessed. And I think just getting caught in resistance to doing stuff online, and I could be projecting because this is a place that I've been in, there's something behind that resistance whether it's grief, whether it's insecurity, whether it's something else, because this is the world that we are living in right now. The world we're living in right now is one where we're not in the same places as each other, and it's also a world where children continue to struggle, families continue to struggle, children continue to need support, and families continue to need support, and there are tangible ways that we can do that. It doesn't mean it'll be the same, whether in the child's experience of the therapy or whether even for ourselves, if we'll still feel as effective, if we'll still feel as connected, but it's what we have. And whatever emotional work as a therapist it takes for you to ground back into a place of, I understand and accept that things are different. I understand and accept that I can't do the work the way I want to do the work, and I am now approaching reality, living in reality, and capable of deciding how this should go next. And that's a process that is unique to all of us, and we all need to find our own relationship to and find the supports that we need, whether that's a friend or a supervisor or a partner or family or whoever, to help us reground in this new reality and continue to provide therapeutic support to the children out there that need it. Obviously, child-centered play therapy is a difficult thing to do remotely, and I have had moments in my telehealth sessions that resemble aspects of play. You can still track, you can still reflect, you can track and reflect body states of the people you see. You can have your sessions done where you have toys and they have toys and they can still be telling you what to do a little bit inside of the sessions and there is a little bit of play that can maybe happen if you personally are in a space where you can have some toys with you. If they are in a space where they can have some toys with them, you could have maybe the parent be sitting inside of the room if you want to, if that keeps it more safe. And if it doesn't feel like that's working or it doesn't feel like that's an option, then I think even for us who are child-centered, we have to take a step back and feel into, okay, what else can we do What else do we have inside of our therapeutic toolbox? And for every child, that might look a little bit different. And we've all, or at least I, have some more time on my hands these days. And it's been helpful to take the clients who I still am seeing and to think about them and to reflect on the work that we've done, to review some of my notes, to spend some time just laying down with my eyes closed and it's like, okay, this is the work that we've been doing. This is where we're at in that 
kind of work. These are the kinds of things that they've been drawn to, and how can some of those elements be pulled into the sessions? I don't like to lead sessions. I believe in the self-healing capacity of the human psyche when it is given the space and acceptance and witnessing to to be allowed to do its self-healing psyche thing. And shoot, we're online right now, and our therapeutic process has been interrupted, and even though it makes me personally feel uncomfortable to decide that, okay, maybe I'm going to throw X, Y, and Z ideas out here for this individual. Maybe they've been struggling with anger and aggression heavily in sessions, and I've decided, well, they've been drawn to art before. We could draw pictures of different emotions together to help deepen their relationship to those emotions. Perhaps we're making, like, faces at each other and guessing what the emotions are on the faces that we make, or we're making some kind of a narrative through drawing. Maybe they've had this deep narrative throughout their play, and I can remember the different elements of that narrative, and we can draw pictures about that journey that they've taken so far in play, in this narrative that they've played out, and we can draw or act out together what might come next. And I can feel a difference when I talk about this work or I'm thinking about this work between the times when I feel pressured to come up with something in particular for a child, and I'm like, oh my god, what am I going to do? And I try to look up different uh, techniques and other things that people have, and that's not honestly an awesome place for me to be in. The times where I feel more secure and grounded and I know where like where things are going is when I do that kind of reflection and get into this more sort of creative spontaneous space of like this therapy can look like freaking anything we want it to look like it can involve what they've been doing already or it could not involve what they've been doing already it can be based on our ideas of where they should go or we can even go into the session and say ask the parents before the session hey can you give them like crayons, a piece of paper, and you guys have some like doll figurines or puppets or something like that. And then we can have a number of different things and maybe sort of flow between those different elements. And there's just no right way to do it. This is a little bit of an aside, but I hope it relates. Obviously, on this podcast, we don't talk too much about evolutionary theory, but y'all are probably familiar with Darwin, and Darwin, obviously, uh, yeah, I never do research for these. I should, I should try, actually, like, researching and just not using whatever happens to float into my brain at the time, but, you know, can't control how these things are done too much. So Darwin believes that, you know, in that, like, survival of the fittest right? That evolution is based on that when a species is stressed, it learns to adapt. And through that adaptation process of finding ways to struggle and survive, that's how we grow and evolve, which is the predominant evolutionary theory. There's this other person that I've read who I can't recommend enough. His name is Peter Kropotkin, and he was a Russian anarchist. And he was more in the boat that species don't evolve when they're struggling species evolve when they're thriving when they build community together he has beautiful examples in his book of different of his book called uh, mutual aid of different animals who when they're thriving are able to gather together and do some really beautiful communal kinds of things which maybe we don't typically associate with animal species but he believes that we become capable of change when we're thriving versus, you know, he would say that when we're struggling, we actually become a little bit more locked in 
to what we have been doing and what's working and we become less flexible. And I think those same principles can be applied to human growth and evolution and it can even be applied to us in this specific scenario where the world is struggling and the world is isolated right now and us as individuals are more isolated right now and we might be feeling some of that pressure to adapt, right? To evolve and adapt to the telehealth times that we're living in and what that looks like and will we still be effective and that adapting pressure, yes, it'll make us change, and yes, it might help us to change, but it might not be what we need to change in the best way and to change in a way that is authentic with how we individually want to conduct therapy sessions. And so if we can get into a space where we are accepting of where we're at right now, we're accepting of the grief that we're feeling, we're accepting of the sadness that we're feeling, we're accepting of the frustration of having things be interrupted and changed, we accept our own insecurities regarding doing therapy in a different way, and instead of approaching it from a way of like, I've got to figure this shit out, excuse my language, so that we can move forward, if we're able to settle in and relax, just for a second, and be playful with it, to be playful ourselves, to practice what we preach, to explore it in a kind of open-ended way of like, okay, this isn't ideal, but what can I make of the reality that we're living in right now in a way that doesn't feel pressured, but that can feel flexible and like we're going into it, trying to make the best of it and doing it in a way that can feel creative and feel playful and where at least regardless of what you're doing, whether you're still able to do something that's non-directive, and if you are, bless you, that's awesome. And if you're being more directive, that's cool too. But it doesn't matter what we're doing. What does matter is the self that we bring into it if we can still bring our authentic selves into this work and know that it's going to look a little bit different and be kind to ourselves as we go about trying to figure out this weird new thing because it's not ideal but it's what we have and I can say that I personally feel blessed for lack of a better word to be able to have work that I can do at home because I know there are a lot of people out there in my community and elsewhere who don't have that opportunity and we do get to see people we still get to do our work it's primarily about the relationship anyway if you're seeing someone who you've already been seeing then that relationship is there and that rapport is there And we still have the opportunity to connect back into what is healing inside of that relationship uh, every time we see a child for therapy. And that's all I've got for this episode of Playtime. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It helps the show get more reach. Check out barnettchildtherapy.com to learn more about the child-centered children's book series, of which I Have a Secret is now available for pre-order, though I'm not trying to separate anybody from their hard-earned cash right now. But I Have a Secret is about child abuse from the perspective of the child who is having to hold that or feels they have to hold that abuse a secret. And all that stuff is on my website. If you want to be in touch with me, be in touch. You can reach me at barnetchildtherapy at gmail.com and yeah, I'll see y'all next time.